Hey there, welcome to SaaS Unbound, brought to you by SaaS Group. I'm your host, Anna Dana, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business a success. And today with me is Jakob Knudsen, CEO and co-founder of Butter, a modern video platform built for interactive and collaborative virtual workshops and meetings. They have received two Golden Kitty Awards from Product Hunt, a great, great feedback from the community. And they believe that every tech company out there will end up using Butter at some point. So I love the ambition <laughs> and would love to uh, talk about it today, what you're doing and how you're uh, going to reach it. So welcome, Jakob. It's great to have you here. It's so lovely to be here, Anna. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Perfect. Well, and uh, honestly, like when I uh, when I saw the name, I thought, oh my god! Like uh, because I love. There is nothing better on earth than just a fresh toast with butter. So I thought, okay, it's called butter. Oh, no. This guy knows how to, you know, have joy in life. So we've nope. got to talk. <laughs> totally. Like, you know, every every second lunch, you know, I take a little bit of toast, and, you know, just smother it with, you know, big piece of Lurpak butter. You know? Okay, nice. we'll have to wrap up. But <laughs> I'm hungry now. <laughs> but... But yeah, great name. Uh, where did it come from? Uh, so I think we were brainstorming about names in the beginning. And someone from our team said, oh, yeah, we're, it's like we're making meetings smooth as butter. And you know, initially, we were actually called meat butter then. Okay. Uh, but that was just kind of weird because a lot of people thought it was like a chunk of meat and then butter. And that's just <laughs> strange. So, you know, in early 21, we, we dropped the meat. So now then we just butter. Okay, cool. That's that's perfect. The perfect name. Uh, okay, so let's maybe get into your background a little bit because I know it's not your first rodeo. There was a, a gaming, if I'm not mistaken, uh, startup at first. So how did you get into startups in the first place? And what made you move uh, eventually from, from gaming to uh, workshops? Yeah, so we say uh, slightly, slightly longer story. Started my career in strategy consulting in Bain for work, uh, close to four years, then moved to uh, Indonesia of all places, where I started a digital marketing agency or the local arm of a digital marketing oh, wow. agency there. So that was kind of my first foray into building something from the ground up. But it wasn't a product; it was more like a traditional style business, if you will. Uh, got back to Denmark in 2018 and wanted to build something that was more scalable than, you know, selling selling your services by the hour, which we did both in, in agency okay. and consulting. Uh, and I was a big gamer. So I thought, hey, let's me do something within gaming because uh, that's awesome. Um, identified a problem within game streaming about content discovery. So started building a platform there. Got a great team together, many of whom are with me uh, to this day. But we we ultimately failed. In early 2020, January 2020, we shut down. And the big reason for that was simply not getting the problem right. So we didn't correctly understand which problems it was that our users had. Um, and that was kind of what made it super clear. When we shut down, we stuck together as a as a, as a founder team. So myself, my one co-founder, Adam, who is, uh, was an engineer based in Bali, he's, he's from Malaysia, and my other co-founder, Chris, who's a product designer by trade based in, in Denmark as well as, as, as I am. So we kind of stuck together. We had the, the hacker, the hipster, and the hustler trio, <laughs> um, which, is, uh, which is quite nice for building stuff, right? But wanted to be ultra, ultra clear on 
identifying the right problem. And that was why in we built the previous companies as a remote company. So we knew a lot of stuff about remote work and how to do things. And when COVID struck just one month after we shut down Streamcrux, as our previous company was called, we started doing workshops for these companies and teams that were suddenly pushed remotely by COVID, didn't know what the best practices for remote work were. And the idea was to, through those workshops, understand, hey, which big pain points is it or which uh, is it that the companies are, are truly experiencing now? And, and how can we build like a software solution around that? And that was when it really hit us that, I mean, I both in consulting and in an agency, I'd done literally hundreds of physical workshops, but doing workshops online that was super difficult. You know, two big things was incredibly difficult there. One thing was the whole management of the workshop. Like we were doing, using a lot of different tools like Miro, Mentimeter, opening breakouts, polls, you name it. And like half of my time in the workshop was spent just opening that stuff up instead of focusing on the participants and on, you know, delivering the materials. The other part was that it was so hard to get people engaged. People were, you know, sometimes camera off, they were leaning back, they were just not leaning in. And that just meant that the outcomes of the workshops were way, way worse. And that was kind of what got us to the idea of butter. Let's let's build something, let's build a tool that's just laser focused on online workshops and trainings and making them awesome. <laughs> cool. Okay. So what was your favorite video game? What is your favorite oh, video game? <laughs> right now, I th- <laughs> I've, I've been a big fan of the Blizzard games like StarCraft and Diablo way back. I'm pretty excited about the new Diablo 4 that's coming out. Uh, so, uh, uh, but but aside from that, it's probably Total War Warhammer. That's uh, that's pretty awesome. Huge strategy game. It makes me okay. Yeah, I don't know why I asked it. Those mean nothing to me. <laughs> <laughs> I was also surprised you asked, but you know, uh, I'll roll with the punches. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, great story. I mean, you you knew the the pain point and and you decided to uh, to go for it. So mm. uh, perfect. Did the hustler, the engineer, and what was the the other one? The, Stay the together. Hustler, the, the the hacker, and the hipster. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, we're, we're still we're still we're still together. I guess it makes me the hustler of the the trio, right? And Chris is the hipster in product design, and Adam is the hacker with the the engineer. So yeah, we still stayed together, and like they're the most amazing amazing team. And amazing people I've ever worked with, and 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 Cheska, who's heading up our growth team, she joined in as kind of as a as a as a as a as a late exec team uh, uh, person. She, she's extraordinary as well. So we have like this really amazing leadership team uh, uh, with with different what can you say skills and competencies, which is yeah, uh, I feel very fortunate to kind of be be a part of. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So, uh, what about? this one like what did you do differently mm-hmm. that you, you realized with with the previous startup there was a um, a failure in finding the problem so mm. how did you know that it's not just you that experienced this problem but people actually want to solve something yeah it's such a good question i mean it was we're obsessed from the very beginning with understanding this because like we're, we really felt burned after the last uh, the the last startup shutdown. It's like one of the most painful things that you can go through. So we like from the very beginning when we launched the first iteration of Butter in I think it was June of 2020, we did interviews. Like I think in the first half year, I personally interviewed between three and 500 people. And that was like anyone that was doing anything that kind of tasted of workshops could be, you know, consultants, coaches, trainers, design sprinters, uh, people in learning and development. Anyone that was doing what we now have come to define as complex collaborative sessions, uh, I spoke with them and tried to figure out, 
not, hey, is this a problem you have? But I, I basically asked him, hey, can you talk me through your last workshop? What was what went well? What was painful? Uh, and try to really understand their workflows and understand which problems they faced and what kind of workarounds they tried to create around those problems. Um, so especially the workarounds were incredibly important to identify because if they hadn't even tried to identify a workaround, if they said, oh yeah, it's a huge problem. Have you tried to fix it? Nah, not really. Then it wasn't really a problem, right? So right. Uh, went, went super deep into that. Um, so that was what we did in the first half year. And I think in since then, we've been doing a lot of things to continuously stay in touch with our users and with our community. We built a big community of facilitators, uh, of workshop facilitators. We engage a lot with people in, in public on LinkedIn and, and everywhere where people talk about the product. Uh, I think I personally still speak with 10 to 15 users per week. Um, so it's so important to continuously stay in touch and continuously understand which problem that you're, you're, you're currently solving. Right. I feel like uh, there could be just, just one one problem. When you were talking with people and asking them about um, the processes that they have at the moment, mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. tend to, to sugarcoat it a little bit. Like it's it's yeah. never easy to say, you know, well, we're doing it, but it's not very good. Like you still try <laughs> to kind of like say, oh, no, we're doing a good job. We are a good team. And like, mm -hmm. have you experienced that? Was it difficult to actually like crack people and into understanding that there is a problem. Yeah, like a hundred percent and uh, experience it all the time. You're, you're very right in terms of sugarcoating. Either, actually I'd say either one way or the other, sometimes they sugarcoat to make them seem, as you say, not not bumbling in, in terms of, 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 of that particular problem. Sometimes they just exaggerate the problem and make it seem huge, right? But the best way of doing that has always been like, hey, just talk me through what happened last time. Be as objective as possible, at least based on their memory, that just talking them through their processes from, you know, they start thinking about the workshop, then preparing them, inviting in the participants, the whole running of the workshop, talking through that, that those hours that it took, that flow. After the workshop, how did you collect all the materials? How did you send it out to whoever the, the participants were in the end? So like just making things as objective as possible has been the best way of of, 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 of stripping kind of all the fluff away uh, from the chicken, as they say. Right. Okay. And uh, just one more question. You were saying like 300, 500 people only you talk to. Mm. And uh, it's always a mystery. And I think a lot of founders ask that question, like, where do you get those people? Like, uh, it's it's the, um, I think in sales, like, it's the same problem. Like, um, when your ticket is not high enough, people are, are not willing to talk with you, right? Because they're mm -hmm. not going to spend their time uh, unless they're paying, like, huge amounts of money to you. So how do you, as a startup founder, actually persuade people to talk to you? <laughs> Where do you get them? It's not just your <laughs> yeah. friends, right? And friends of friends, no, you kind of no, talk no, to no. them. <laughs> but I will say friends and friends of friends was a great place to start. Again, I'd been in consulting. Okay. I'd been in agency. So that was where I started. Like I reached out to anyone that I knew and I was, hey, like, I know you did workshops because I know you. Do you want to talk? And like, there you get a pretty high hit rate, right? Because uh, they don't want to be douchebags. So they talk. Uh, so, uh, so, so again, that was where I started out. And I think a very important point is if you don't even know where to start out, maybe you're attacking the wrong problem because you don't really know the space as well as you think. Uh, so that was like, it's a big, it's a good litmus test kind of in starting out. But we, as we 
scaled the interviews, if you will, like honestly, it was just cold outreach on LinkedIn, right? So I connected with tons of people that had, you know, those different titles, coach, facilitator, trainer, uh, consultant, any title that could be construed as conducting workshops. And I reached out and said, hey, do you do online workshops? I'm trying to understand the space. Would you mind having, uh, taking 30 minutes for an interview with me? Um, and a certain percentage of those people said yes, because sometimes people like to be listened to. And I think that's where doing interviews is a bit different than sales. And maybe, you know, there's a bit of an overlap. We, I mean, we, right. we overlapped interviews and sales a little bit, right? But, but overall, people, they, they want to help. And they, they were very curious, especially the, and they were very curious, especially during that period. It, again, it was 2020. It was COVID. The world was really changing uh, super, super fast, right? And I think the very fact that we were solving a real problem also made it much easier for people to talk about this because, yeah, a lot of people were really frustrated about doing these online workshops. All of their, all of their workflows had been totally shifted because they were used to doing them physical and now suddenly they had to do them virtual. So people wanted to talk about this, which was a good indication that we were on to something. So overall, cold outreach on LinkedIn, ask people for their opinion. A large percentage will say yes. Right. Okay. Awesome. Great experience. Uh, so uh, <laughs> while you were interviewing, was there a product in place already or you were selling before there was anything? We, again, I feel so fortunate working with an amazing team. I think Adam and Chris, they got like an MVP together in three weeks, like from the moment when we started talking about it till there was like something out there three weeks went uh, something out in the market, something people could sign up to and use as a video conferencing tool three weeks yeah. went by. So I was doing all of these interviews in butter uh, and it was ugly as F, uh, but you know, it was working. Uh, and, uh, and I was sending out an invite and people got into butter. You know, that was also where I said, like we did a little bit of sales in the interview process because, you know, some people were like, ah, this is interesting. Can you tell me what does it do? And, uh, and, you know, I went through my spiel, uh, but, uh, it was, um, it was, it was, it was, it was definitely the, it was definitely cool to have built that product in the beginning to get that ongoing information. And, and I mean, while we were doing interviews, we were, pro we were, we were iterating all the time, right? So we were able to get opinions on the changes in the product very, very fast. So it was, right. uh, it was a magical time. <laughs> right. But you, you also uh, could start selling right away, which is yes. perfect, I think, yes. uh, because if people are ready to, to solve this problem, they are ready to pay if they see the value in the product mm -hmm. that you're doing. Right. So, uh, okay. Spill the beans. How do you, um, how do you put a product on the market in, in three weeks? What was the, <laughs> what did you use? <laughs> I'm, I'm writing it down. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can get a, get a side uh, hassle. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it was, it was, it was a lot of hard work from, from, especially from Chris and Adam. Right. And, and I wouldn't even begin to know exactly what kind of, I, I forget which tech stack Adam used to build it. But again, the whole thing was just having some kind of idea because we'd experienced the pain ourselves. So it wasn't like we didn't know what to build. We had some idea because we'd experienced the pain ourselves. Um, and then just built it. Oh, Chris designed it and Adam built it. And that was kind of the, the, the high the level of the flow. But what actually happened was the first iteration we had was a mobile 
companion app, we called it, together with Zoom. So I think that was built in just one week with something that just kind of worked where you could put a queue and you had a little agenda and, you know, you could say when you were AFK for coffee or whatever, like it was pretty damn useless. Uh, and, and it turned out that was just so, such a stupid idea because nobody wants an extra screen when they're like sitting on Zoom and then they, they need an extra screen to look at. But what we then did was uh, Adam found a video API, which is basically like something you can you can yeah well, something you can very quickly uh, uh, spin up and use as a as a out of the box uh, video conferencing tool. He found that and then he slapped our mobile app you know on the side of it. So you have the video API on one side, and then you just had our mobile app kind of enlarged to a desktop version on the side, and then suddenly boom, you had you had the tool together, and that was when magic began happening because the functionality that we built. With in in the for the for the mobile app together with actual video conferencing, that was where you know where we began finding finding okay, there's really something there's really something happening here. Uh, or some, we are, we're onto something special. Um, if that okay. makes sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I mean, uh, okay. So when you start a video conferencing, uh, come into the market, right? Mm -hmm. There is, oh my god, is it even alive? Uh, Skype, uh, Zoom. Uh, Google Meet, uh, those are, you know, the big guys everyone's using, especially enterprise level. Um, how do you, again, how did you ask people to to try something new? Uh, what did you, what was the, uh, the thing that tipped them off that this is different? This is something that is going to change their, uh, their workflow and actually put that sharp focus uh, into the workshop or a meeting? I think the first big thing we did was be extremely opinionated and specific on the fact that it was just workshops we we're focusing on, right? Workshops and facilitators and just using that language and people being able to see themselves, okay, like they're building for us. This is a tool for me. That was incredibly helpful from a communication perspective, right? And getting people to be curious enough to kind of test it out. Then it came down to the, what you say, both the way we built Butter as a tool that where, where you're able to set up a lot of front, uh, a lot of stuff beforehand, run the session, and then debrief the session all in kind of in one tool. Whereas Zoom, for instance, or, or, or Google Meet, they are almost utilities where you know you start up something and then it's running. Right, it's it's a call. It's not something where you can set up a ton of things beforehand. So that was where we where we began seeing that a lot of people began adopting the tool. Uh, because they were able to set up all of these things beforehand. They felt, back to the whole problem that we were solving, they felt that suddenly they didn't need to spend half of their mind space just on handling the tools during the session because all of the, those things, they'd set them up beforehand. So they could just, you know, click buttons and run things when the session was was running and everything was just there. It was just in one, in, 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 in one um, window. For instance... One thing was Miro, right? You had to, beforehand, they had to send out links and people had to click it and half of people would drop off. In Butter, they could just, it was already integrated. They could just click start Miro and boom, Miro opened up directly in the video conferencing interface. People could just see it. They didn't need to log in. All of these things, when, when workshop facilitators that have felt those pains, they saw this, like magic happened. And they, 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 they started using the product. Same with breakout rooms, for instance, also a big feature that is used in a lot of workshops, super clunky to use in a lot of tools. We had focused so much that breakout rooms had to be a must-win battle for us. That feature, we knew everyone in workshop needed it. So we had to build the best breakouts out there. And we did. <laughs> so when people saw that, they were like, whoa, this is so cool. This is, this is built for me. Um, so back to the communication and then just building, having a few must-win features where people, they really felt like, okay, wow, this is built for me. 
that was how we 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 won against uh, uh, how we won. Well, we have definitely not won yet, but how we at least got the initial users in <laughs> in the battle against uh, against the big video conferencing tools. <laughs> okay, cool. All right. Uh, so love the energy here, and uh, let's. Uh, you keep talking about communication and community, and I want to get uh, there a little too because mm -hmm. uh, feels like. Well, you definitely won there. I mean, uh, Product Hunt, you're the stars, um, right? Everyone knows in Product Hunt uh, what butter is, what butter does. Um, why Product Hunt? What, what tipped you off that, you know, this is your community, this is something that you have to pursue? And are there any other channels like Product Hunt that maybe uh, not every startup uses, but that, that mm. works like magic for you? Yeah, so let's take why Product Hunt first. I think Product Hunt works extremely well, or that's at least my thesis, for um, I guess what's popularly known as prosumer products. So these kind of self-serve products that rest, that are normally used for B2B purposes, but work very much like consumer apps, right? Easy to sign up, easy to pick up and start using by yourself. Um, and Butter is one of these. So that was what initially tipped us off that, hey, like Butter, and, and, and Butter has a very, like, we have a very opinionated uh, brand, if you will. Is it <laughs> a Danish very... thing? <laughs> I don't, I mean, we're not even a Danish team, so it's like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we're just having a lot of fun. Um, but but those things combined, so a product that kind of is a prosumer product, and it has a very clear, like a very clear branding that tipped us off that, hey, maybe there's something spe special about Product Hunt. And it turned out, I mean, especially our first launch, like now we launched uh, several times at Product Hunt, but especially the first launch, kind of getting it out there to the world was absolutely amazing on, on Product Hunt. We got, we got so much, we got so much, uh, we could say, love from, uh, from, from users, got so many new users in got tons of, of, of interest from investors as well because it kind of put us on the map. Uh, so there's a lot of really great things there from uh, from the product hunt community. And I think it's it's an amazing community. It's a very big early adopter community, which is super cool for kind of getting people onto the platform that don't mind that you're not one of the big incumbents, right? Uh, and want to test out all the all the new stuff. So so that was that was tremendously amazing. In terms of other channels Honestly, it's super hard. And, and I do think Product Hunt is one of those things that have decreasing returns. As you know, we've launched three times now and we can definitely see decreasing returns of, of launching because it's just not the novelty factor anymore. Um, I, I do think that, uh, uh, say, communities on, for instance, LinkedIn, like not open but closed communities on LinkedIn is something we've seen a lot of success with as well. Uh, basically becoming part of, very specific communities around, say, facilitation or remote work, or and 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 posting butter there. So that's been extremely helpful in terms of uh, oh, of, of growth channels, influencers as well, reviewers. We had a lot of growth from, especially during COVID, where everyone wanted to check out new video conferencing tools from influence like YouTubers that were doing reviews of different types of video conferencing tools. So that was a very big channel for us as well uh, for 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 acquisition, if if that's what you what you mean. <laughs> Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate or customer referral program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage, and scale for SaaS companies. Log your customer acquisition cost and only pay based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. 
Rewardful automatically tracks referrals, calculates commissions, handles upgrades and downgrades all seamlessly in the background, whether you sell one-off purchases or recurring subscriptions. Companies like Podia, Copy.ai, Barometrics, Synthesia, and many, many more are already using Rewardful to add that sweet, sweet MRR to their businesses. Sign up now at Rewardful.com for a free 14-day trial and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, no, and uh, I, I want to come back to, to Product Hunt and what you said about early adopters. And mm. this is exactly what, what I thought. Like, uh, Product Hunt is great when it's new. Everyone wants it. Uh, but then it is kind of difficult. They, they are, you know, uh, early product junkies, right? They, they mm. just want everything that's new. So, yeah, obviously, like, some of them end up loving the product and, and stay with you. But I feel like Product Hunt is mostly made for you know just just try and try and try new things yeah and i agree and i actually i think some products including ours got got quite a lot out of product hunt but even with us uh, like our metrics were super messy like in months after that like our retention cohorts looked like crap to be perfectly honest because a lot of people were just in there like as, as someone from our team called them like tire kickers right i mean they were just out there in there to test out hey what is this but it wasn't really their use case i think that's also, also the curse of having a product like ours which is yeah. reasonably attractive uh, the, the, the 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 landing page is interesting it makes you want to sign up we have pretty high sign up rates there but we have very large drop off rates after sign up in terms of activation because people who don't do workshops who don't need all of these tools for their complex collaborative sessions, who just want a fun video conferencing tool, they just don't find the enough value in Butter to kind of validate our price point or, or, or use it in, in enough, right? So getting a lot, a lot of early adopters in from Product Hunt that might not be our pure target audience that might not actually do workshops, it does, it really messes up your metrics because they're not the people that you actually want in your, your product or that you want a ton of feedback from uh, for, for at least not for, for that particular use case, if, if that makes sense. Right, right. Okay. But, you know, still for, for a lot of people, Product Hunt is just, you know, a holy grail. Uh, everyone <laughs> wants to to be there. Everyone wants to, to become the, the product of the day. So um, did you do anything to prepare for the launch there? Mm, Was it, yeah. I don't know, uh, some great campaign that you, that you launched? I think... I mean, there are two things that, that that's always connected when you do a product on launch. The first is community and the second is content, right? Uh, community means, it means several things. It means your own community. You need to activate your own community of users, of, you know, fans, of investors, whoever is kind of on in your uh, in your court, you need to activate them and make sure they go and support you on product hunt on the day. So that is that is a big thing. Other parts of communities, the, the product hunt community itself, right? So that you need to make sure that 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 you engage them and that you comment on your post when you launch, um, that you're very active there. All the new people that are coming into the product on the day, that you're very uh, that you're very helpful uh, for people that are in there on the day, right? So you need, really need to be on. Uh, during that day and, and preparing that and interspacing, for instance, making sure that your emails goes out at different times of the day, depending on where your users are based to make sure you get the maximum out of your community. Like all of these things take a lot of preparation. We, by the way, we prepared roughly a month before each of our launches. The second thing is content, which uh, uh, it relates to, you know, of course, the content on the product hunt post itself. 
uh, but also content on your socials, right? Or content in your newsletter, or uh, we did content. We did the first um, Proton launch. We did a workshop, uh, workshop fest, or like a, 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 a big like series of workshops on the day where people could pop in, right? So prepping all of these things oh, yeah. took a lot of time, uh, but it was definitely worthwhile. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Sounds sounds really interesting, though. Like uh, uh, mostly, just people just uh, make sure that they stay on the page twenty four <laughs> uh, twenty four hours, and you know, just yeah. just don't miss uh, any comments. So, uh, from Product Hunt, from that uh, early um, adoption community, where do you go next? Like, what is the next uh, biggest acquisition uh, channel for you? Like the biggest acquisition channel for us is Butter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, I mean, we're, we're very much, I mean, what you'd call a product-led growth uh, company, right? And, and we're seeing somewhere between 30 and 35% of all of the users that sign up to Butter have been in a Butter session before. So that's a rather large percentage. And we're seeing a very large percentage of the, the remaining uh, 65 to 70%. They have learned about Butter from word of mouth. Um, so our big acquisition channels are these product growth, viral acquisition channels. Some of them are built into the product itself where we have a lot of ways to kind of encourage people to sign up after they've been part of a session. Um, other parts are more easily shareable content that makes it like, for instance, when a butter session has taken place and you've recorded it, like we generate gifts that you can share. Uh, of that session, and people have loved those those short gifts uh, that they then share everywhere on their their socials, and then people see it and they uh, sign up to Butter because they're like, "Oh, this is pretty cool, right?" So our biggest acquisition channel is uh, our growth uh, product growth loops uh, that that we built into the product itself. Perfect. Okay. And uh, after um, when you were talking about Product Hunt, you also mm. said that it. Uh, put you on the map for the investors. So that's mm. also something that I wanted to to touch upon. So why not bootstrapping? Cool product, you know, the community loves it. Why go to the investors? So you also mentioned a very important point before, Anna, right? I mean, that's who we're up against. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're very much like we don't look too much at other startups when we think about who we're competing against. We look and not because they're not excellent. There are amazing startups out there that, that, that are theoretically doing the same as us. But the really big ones that we encounter are the big three, which is Zoom, Meet and Teams. Those are the ones that we need to replace for this particular use case. And to truly do that, we need to have enough funding to build a big enough team, uh, especially on the tech and product side to have a product that is, that is competitive. It's video conferencing is incredibly expensive to make. And I think I've been surprised at just how expensive it is to build a, a stable, scalable video conferencing product. Um, so, uh, we need, we need venture capital to, uh, to, 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 to do that. In general, kind of the deciding factor on whether, at least my, my thinking of the deciding factor of bootstrapping versus uh, versus venture has been, you know, what are the, what, what is your competition doing? If all of your competitions are either huge incumbents uh, and you, and you are, uh, so no, actually it's two things. It's competition and it's ambition. If, if all of your competition is big incumbents or VC funded startups, then you need to it be VC funded as well to be able to compete. Either it's on the tech side of things or it's on the marketing side of things. You, you'll get totally run over if you don't do that. 
The second is the level of ambition. Uh, again, with Butter, we want to build the product for synchronous remote collaboration. Um, and that's a pretty damn freaking huge ambition. And, you know, I'd be sad if, if, we, if, if, if you know, by the end of this decade, Butter is not used in, in tens, if not hundreds of millions of homes. Um, so uh, that's then with, with both a very tough VC-funded competition, uh, all very big incumbents, and a very high level of ambition. Uh, VC VC funding is is the only way to go for us. Although I wish okay. I could bootstrap. <laughs> oh right, and you know all the best, all the best with it. I mean, nothing's wrong with uh, with going to the VCs. Uh, I was just I was just curious because um, some uh, are just very stubborn on being super independent in in growing the startup. And and I think it's it's incredibly important to realize why you want to do VC funding, because for a lot of people, it just seems like the default mode. It's like, oh yeah, we're building startup. That's what we need to do. Um, but if, if you just default to that, if you don't question it, then, then, then you're, you might be doing something wrong. Right. Or if you do it because, oh yeah, it looks really cool to my friends that I raised a lot of money or that my, my company is worth a lot on paper. Right. I mean, as you say, like the freedom of being bootstrapped, I can really envy <laughs> those founders sometimes uh, because there's, 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 there is a, not necessarily from, you know, f by, by VCs having a lot of control over you, but just by the simple thing of taking VC money, you say, okay, yes, I commit to making this a huge, like a billion dollar company. That's like, right. that's what you commit to. This needs to be a building dollar company. And, 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 and that's a big commitment, right? In terms of time and life and energy and whatever. <laughs> Right. Okay. Uh, well, uh, it seems like you definitely put a lot of thought in it and, and that's great. Like you said, not a lot of founders just, uh, go into that, uh, headspace where, where you actually think about like why you would need, uh, VC money. And now it's, it's just a uh, way to, I, I guess it's just way too difficult. So you don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> but yeah, um, no, not really. Uh, but, um, anyway, um, right. Another question, uh, that I wanted to ask is about the fact that, you know, COVID is kind of gone. Well, I got it a couple mm. weeks ago, so <laughs> completely. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, it still sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah still sucks. Still there. <laughs> Come on. Um, so, uh, people are going to the offices and a, a lot of companies somehow are still, you know, despite the statistics that, you know, there is nothing wrong with the, uh, efficiency, uh, you know, we are doing the same kind of, uh, revenue or even more, um, while working remotely, um, they're still kind of pushing people back to the office. So mm -hmm. what do you think about that? And is it going to somehow affect all the video conferencing, uh, tools like butter? Oh, those were a lot of questions in one. <laughs> um, so I think they're too big. So they're both reasons why people should do go back to office, uh, and people and reasons why bosses want to get people back to office. I'm not going to comment on the bosses part because you know there's there's obviously a lot of uh, reasons why people want think that they they want more control there. But I do I I think that the two big reasons that I continue to hear is one is social and culture that it is more difficult to build social and culture when you're doing things remotely. And I mean, I definitely agree. You have to be way, way more mindful when building uh, social and culture when you're doing it remotely. It can definitely be done though. And uh, it just requires significantly, uh, significantly more, more effort. 
So that's one big reason we're seeing it. The other big reason, which is what we're solving with Butter, is uh, the reason of collaboration. Like a lot of people, they want to go back to the office because, ah, then I can really brainstorm. You know, can I go, I go up to the whiteboard and I can sit here, I can chat, you know, it's, and it's just super helpful. And I can only do that when I can see people and really, you know, feel them, right? Um, and, and that's one of the things that we want to solve with Butter because, yes, I agree that it's a, that's a problem at the moment, synchronous remote collaboration. Uh, and that's definitely something that, that I don't think should be a problem uh, five to 10 years down the line. In terms of whether this affects video conferencing rules, yes, I think so. But I mean, if you look at if you look at a graph of like video conferencing going upwards before COVID, yeah, it was nice and it was going upwards, trending upwards, things were nice, right? But COVID just freaking shifted that graph up to, you know, 80, 90% of all work, right? And now it dropped down to maybe 50% of all work being done via video conferencing or even 40%. But we've just, we've, it still parallel shifted that graph up so momentously that uh, that the world today in 23 is very different than the world in 19 right and we're at a, at a much much higher like many times over higher usage of video conferencing tools that we were uh were beforehand uh so definitely bullish uh, on that <laughs> right so uh where do you do you stand in butter within the company and just overall um asynchronous or or synchronous as much as possible oh, yeah. or just you know when it's absolutely necessary so I think, oh, it, 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 this is a big bugbear of mine. Um, a lot of remote companies, they say, oh, yes, we just need to do async all the time, only async. I think what one should think of is why why are you using a particular form of communication? What what are you communicating around right now? So if you are documenting stuff or you're, if you're one way communicating things, I'm a huge async uh, fan. Like, again, we do the majority of our communications, uh, for instance, from me to the team or, or from team members internally, we do that on uh, Notion with big, with well, with memos or through Loom videos. Really great stuff. But if you are, say, collaborating or brainstorming and trying to put something together, then synchronous is, is very often the, the best way to go around things because you can just... You can build upon each other's idea way faster and you can make decisions much faster. Very often combined with, you know, a pre-read or something like async that is there that has briefed everyone beforehand. So I think that I, I stand squarely on using the best form of communication for the best time and just being very conscious about whether you choose async or sync for any types of communication. Right. And I think there are, uh, there are now tools and... Um... Tell me if, if that's also something that maybe you're working on. Um, there are async uh, video conferencing tools, right? When you, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even know how it should work, but <laughs> it sounds kind of, uh, I don't know, like, like still going and looking into like pre-recorded videos. So it's still not, I don't know. It doesn't feel like the same, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do think like, it's not something we're working on, by the way, if you're open on that, right? I think people, like, it, it can be fine for a briefing, right? But again, it's, it's a one-way communication tool. It's not a two-way communication tool. And that, that's what people need to... Uh, no, uh, I think, like, th there is a way to, like, somehow... Yeah. Like, you communicate with the chat, right? Uh, sorry, yeah, exactly. with the chatbot. Yeah, delay so, chat or an email or... Yeah, yeah. 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 But, but, yeah, like you said, like, maybe it can be done differently, Maybe I don't understand something, but uh, it's a cool concept. And like you said, maybe for, for like a briefing, it's perfect, right? Yeah. You, you need some kind of, you need to see the person, like their, maybe their emotions towards this, <laughs> but um, 
yeah, the fact that you're you're still not kind of collaborating with, with the person, you're not getting feedback right away. That kind of makes it like more one way than two ways. Exactly. And I, I mean, one example of this was right before this uh, uh, chatting with you here. And I like I was recording our like strategy updates to the entire team. And I was doing that with, you know, a Google slide deck and a Loom video uh, where I speak over the slide deck, sent that out to them. And tomorrow we'll have a town hall where there's a Q&A section included. Right. So the idea is that people can watch this. There's no reason for me to sit synchronously during the town hall and talk through all of this. People can watch this on their own time. But tomorrow during the time ho- town hall, I'm able to take all of these questions and, re- and and people have the time to, before the town hall, think through the questions that they want to ask. Uh, so that's one way that we're, for instance, dealing with this uh, sync, async communication. All right. Okay. All right. Well, I have just uh, just a couple more questions. Uh, mm-hmm. And the, the first one is uh, the same for absolutely every founder. Uh, what's the biggest win and biggest failure so far? Yeah. Take failure, failure first. Um, okay. And then uh, we'll, we'll butter it up <laughs> with the win. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, I mean, come on, always, always end on a high on that one, right? Uh, we have so many failures, Anna. Like seriously. And it's, I think it's so fucking hard to be a, a, a founder. Like it's insane. Um, I'd say like one thing I would highlight that was a bit painful and especially I thought I was immune to it, but I wasn't like that was uh, uh, prematurely scaling the team. Um, again, we raised a nice seed round. We raised quite a bit of money. We thought that we were going, we were growing faster. We were able to grow faster than reality kind of uh, was able to support. Uh, and that's painful because when you prematurely scale a team, you need to take the consequences of that. Right. Um, and honestly, that's, it's, it's never nice to, to let people go and it's never nice to spend a ton of cash on people that you figure out that you actually didn't really need or weren't able to to, to help you out at that stage at all. Uh, now our team is actually smaller than it was one year ago and we're moving much, much faster. It's um, it, That's good. But I, I'd say that's that's the biggest failure. Okay. My biggest win, that is, again, related to the team. Like, I, I'm so in awe of these people that we managed to bring together and these people that we're building this with. It's... And it's not just like one thing is getting talented people. That's, I mean, of course, there are many talented people out here, but having extremely emotionally open people that are, you know, able to create a space, space of psychological safety, um, where you can talk about a lot of things. And especially I think as a team as a whole, that's very true, but also as a, as a leadership team in, in, in butter, like it's amazing to be able to share the tough times and the fun times together with these extremely talented, wonderful human beings. <laughs> okay. That sounds beautiful. Uh, I love how, you know, lately it's such a, uh, I don't want to say trend, but uh, just a great uh, shift when founders do not just talk about the numbers and, you know, how much money they raised. <laughs> it's, you know, we are working with the people, for the people, building the great mm-hmm. culture. So that's amazing. All right. And uh, the last one is um, just out there. Uh, just want to, to know your opinion uh, because um, so much is happening. I mean, I, I feel like uh, time sped up uh, a lot the last couple of years. Uh, so just everything's kind of like just happening here and there every week. Um, so what do you think of all the things that's happened even just in 2023, will have the biggest effect on SaaS businesses? 
I mean, I could be boring and say AI because I think that it's AI. <laughs> okay, um, that's a popular answer. I, uh, I do think that, like, it is for sure the thing that will have the most long-lasting effect. And I think we've only just seen the tip of it. I think other things that I personally also like very much is the frugality or the lack of cash. It just it 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 pushes people to create healthier businesses that fundamentally solve problems and where people think about solving the problem for users very early on because you need to create value because you need to make revenue from a very early stage. So I think that's another big shift that I can that that I personally think is 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 very much for for the better even if it hurts as a founder not being able to raise on crazy valuations anymore. It's still at the end of the day I think it'll be it'll be healthier businesses that come out of it that will be building and it'll be better products for the uh, for, for the end user that's built okay interesting all right well thank thanks for sharing your opinion that's uh that's great uh so Jakob, it's been amazing talking with you i think what you're doing with butter is is great uh love okay. how you're building a community love uh what you're talking about on podcasts uh i watched a couple of previous ones uh so <laughs> Maybe we'll uh, one more today. Uh, but uh, yeah, thanks for great content and uh, full honesty, full transparency about um, Founder's journey. Yeah, well, thank you so much for the lovely questions. They were awesome, Anna. Oh, okay, it. perfect. Thank you. That, you know, that buttered my day. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much great. and take care. Thanks, Anna. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders. And if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna at saas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS, but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS group a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit saws.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.